We recently celebrated Father's Day, and of course we should have a Father's Day lesson. A small boy's definition of Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, only you don't have to spend as much. Another definition of a father. A father is a man who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Paul Harvey often spoke about fathers, and his definition of a father went something like this. A father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father never feels worthy of the worship in his child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks, never quite the man his son believes him to be, and this worries him, at least sometimes. So he works too hard to try and smooth out the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. Fathers are what give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody else's. Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. One day they lose, and the bet's paid off to the part of them they leave behind. When God created man and woman, he said it was good. He made them in his image and in his likeness, thus we are told in Genesis. He put the wholeness of who he really is and divided it between the both of them. Together, men and women, mothers and fathers, are a fine balance and a representation of God. God reflects a side of his nature that more often identifies with women. That of unconditional love, extreme patience, deep pain and self-sacrifice, and nurturing care. Men, on the other hand, are oftentimes so different. One night, a wife found her husband standing over their baby's crib. Silently, she watched him. As he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw on his face a mixture of emotions. Disbelief, doubt, delight, Amazement, enchantment, skepticism. Touched by this unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, with eyes glistening, she slipped her arm around her husband. A penny for your thoughts, she said. It's amazing, he replied. I just can't see how anyone can make a crib like that for only $46.50. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly wish that when I first became a father, somebody would have handed me an instruction booklet. You know, do this, don't do that, say this, don't say that, all those things that you learn. I myself have five children. And I can honestly say I was probably a better parent by the time the fifth one came along than my poor first son had to endure as being the first child. But we do have some lessons that we can learn from God's word about fatherhood 
If you would, turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. God, through the prophet Nathan, is actually telling David he's going to be a father to him. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. The holy creator of everything comes to you and says, you are now going to be like my own child. Wow. That's pretty awesome just to think about it. And if we look a little further down in the chapter, beginning with verse 18, we'll see how David responds. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David obviously is showing great appreciation for God, his father, and telling him that everything that he has said and done for David, in God's eyes, is insignificant. But in David's eyes, it has been very significant. And what more can I say? Showing true appreciation and gratitude for the things that his father has done for him. Sounds like a Father's Day card. 
Sounds like what every father wants to hear from their children. Not only just on Father's Day, but perhaps any day of the week. Gratitude and Appreciation So using this section of scripture, I'd like to share with you some lessons I've learned about fatherhood. The first lesson is that of forgiveness. Notice God said, When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him. Too many times we've learned of situations where an parent dies, the adult children are carrying grievances against the deceased for something they did ages ago, or perhaps should have done and failed to do. What a tragedy. There's nothing more that can be said or corrected once that parent passes on. But yet consider, on the cross, the Lord Jesus looked at his executioner surrounding him. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Luke 23 and 34. So perhaps in this case, we should say, Forgive your father or forgive your mother. He may or may not have known what he was doing. Forgive him anyway. One of the shining lights of Jewish history is indeed King David, the singer and poet, the man after God's own heart, the epitome of what a godly ruler should be. However, to some of his children, he was anything but an example and role model. 2 Samuel chapters 12 through 18 tells the story of Absalom a young man of extraordinary promise whose life was hijacked by the assault of his sister by his half-brother. When he saw his father David intended to do nothing about it, Absalom killed the perpetrator. Then he fled for his life knowing that surely David would be enraged and would want to punish him. To his amazement, David once again passively stood by and did nothing. Gradually, we are told, Absalom was filled with rage against his father. Eventually, he led a full-scale rebellion to overthrow the throne and seize the kingdom, resulting in his own death. One can just about hear Absalom saying about his father David, Yes, he's such a godly man. Ha! Such a man after God's own heart. What a joke. He's such a hypocrite. It would not be the first time a church leader's child knew his or her father differently from how the world saw him and came to an entirely different conclusion about him. We do not fault Absalom for his anger. He had every right to fault David for his negligence as a parent as well as his failures as the king. We could wish, however, that Absalom have found it in his heart to forgive his father. His hatred, his resentment and anger, ended up destroying him and bringing great suffering to the kingdom. 
Here's some reasons to forgive your father. He's human. This means he is prone to failure and a great deal short of perfect. According to Romans 3 and 23, we have all come short of the glory of God. Not some of us. Not a few of us. Not most of us. But all. And Psalms 103.14 reminds us that God is all too well aware of this. He himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You're human too. This means two things. You're probably a lot more like your dad insofar as being flawed than you like to admit. And you too, being human, will require an extra dose of God's grace to be able to forgive him. Your father is the product of a fallen world and flawed parents. It's easy to think of your father as choosing to become, insert here, whatever he became, an alcoholic, wife beater, party animal, negligent parent, whatever the case may be, and thus holding him totally responsible. However, remember that he was a child once too. And God alone knows to what extent he became whatever he was due to his parents' failures, the faults of the schooling he received or did not receive, or other influences that happened in his life. Another reason to forgive your father? You will eventually want mercy too. Therefore you would do well to show mercy. As Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 12, Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness opens God's grace channel, and resentment clogs it up and shuts off the daily supply of God's grace both you and I continually need. Lesson number two. Notice in our text, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 15, God says he used judges over people Israel, but he wasn't going to have multiple people anymore. It was just going to be David. And that he took the kingdom away from Saul. So what's God telling us here? To me, it tells me that God only needs a few good men. We're told in Scripture, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, Matthew 15 and 4. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master... Where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? Malachi 1 and 6. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, 
because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. So what is God seeking? What does this world need desperately? A few good men. Consider the story of Gideon's army in Judges chapter 7. Gideon's enemies were surrounding him. And so he took his army, 30,000. And God said, listen, Gideon, I don't need 30,000. Send some of them home. So his army went from 30,000 to 10,000. God said, Gideon, that's still too many people. I don't need that many. So if you remember the story, they go down to the river and God tells whoever's drinking out of their hand, they're okay, everybody else send home. And he takes it from 10,000 to 300. What was God looking for that he kept taking the number of fighting men down? He was looking for a few good men to glorify him. Now every time I hear a few good men, I cannot help but think of the movie that Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson starred in. And the scene in the courtroom when Nicholson says, what are you looking for? And Tom Cruise's character replies, The truth. Nicholson's character replies, You can't handle the truth. Yet we're told, And ye shall know the truth, And the truth shall make you free. John 8.32 God can do amazing things with a few people who actually know the truth and are willing to do His work to glorify Him. The third lesson I learned from this section of Scripture is very simply, there are things Christian men know. I mean, you're a man. What do you know? That's a great question, isn't it? Well, as a Christian man, I know who I am. The man who does not know who he is will be forever trying to find out and to prove himself a man, oftentimes in unhealthy ways. I also know whose I am. Is he accountable to anyone? Or is he on his own in this world? Two great questions. The man who knows he is a creation of Almighty God and the redeemed of a loving Savior is likely to live a different kind of life from one who doesn't. I also know as a Christian man what I am here for. We need to know what our role in life is. Why were we put here on earth? Is it to find myself, to express myself, or to fulfill myself? Or am I here for a higher, nobler purpose? 
I also know as a Christian man where I'm going. I love the testimony of Job. In the midst of his pain and suffering, in the darkness of his soul's depression, still his faith was intact. He called out, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Job 19, 25-27 In one of his last writings we have from his hand, the Apostle Paul testified, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. 2 Timothy 1 and 12. The Apostle John put it a little differently. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we know Him because we keep His commandments. What do you know? And what difference has it made in your life? W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies. That which you withhold diminishes. Share what you know and allow it to multiply. Because Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 8, Freely you have received. Freely give. Share what you know. Thanks for listening. W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you care about.